So some of the common mistakes uh, that we see is uh, investors not wanting to fix something because that affects cash flow. In an ideal world, nobody should want to pay out of their pocket um, for their rental properties. But what are the consequences? Uh, uh, the, the tenants, the residents might get angry. So what does that mean for the investor? They're losing a good tenant. Hey, investors, you are listening to the Investing to Win podcast, the show dedicated to empowering investors to achieve financial freedom and live your best life. This show is committed to offering honest conversation between investors, common sense strategies, real-time market updates, and professional guidance to achieving financial freedom. Investing doesn't have to be super hands-on or complicated. We are all about passive investments with real gain, so you have freedom of time and money. Your host is none other than Garrett Wong, who brings decades of experience in buying, renovating, and managing cash flow investment properties. Thanks for being here and get ready to invest to win. Good afternoon and welcome. This is Garrett Wong, your host of the Investing to Win podcast. Today, I have my guest, Fursi Perez, on the show. Fursi, how are you? I'm great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Okay. So um, this is a, a bit of a special episode because Fursi actually works for our property management company, Upper Edge Property Management. And I wanted to have him on the show because I've been speaking lately in the podcast, on social media, about the concept of cash flow. Uh, because with higher interest rates, cash flow obviously is a little bit squeezed for some investors. It's affecting deal analysis. And I thought Fursi uh, could provide a unique perspective because he works in business development and speaks to a lot of investors. So Fursi, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? What's your story and your background? Sure. My uh, background is customer service. I've been in customer service for the last almost 20 years, 20 years now. I do have a degree in international trade, so importing and exporting. But I found that uh, customer service is my passion. That's what I love. Okay. So you've been with our company how long now? Uh, closing in on five years. Five years. Okay. So um, customer service. So your role with us is business development. Why don't you try like explain what that means exactly to our listeners? Sure. So business development, uh, it's mostly about bringing people into the company finding out if we're a good fit for the people reaching out about our services, finding out what their plans are for their properties, um, for their investments, and uh, just making sure that it's a smooth transition. Okay. Um, let me fill in the background for our listeners because I don't often talk about our property management company. So Upper Edge um, focuses primarily on single-family, multifamily, condo, um, third-party management. That means the company doesn't own any of its assets. We are managing solely for investors that might either be here in Winnipeg, but mainly abroad, and they need somebody to lease out the property, pick up rent, you know, evictions, handle maintenance concerns, things like that. So, firstly, handling business development, when he says bringing on and seeing if people are a good fit, those are potential investors, right? So, those are people who are reaching out to see if we can help them for whatever reason? That is correct. It's uh, normally investors, landlords that are calling in, reaching out about our services and see if we can provide 
property management for their properties. Okay. So in your experience, what types of investors are calling in? Are they experienced? They have you know, dozens of units? Are they beginners? Like what, what's, uh, what's the average calling in? In my experience, uh, it's, it's a little bit of everything. Actually, we have first-time investors. Uh, we have uh, accidental landlords. So perhaps someone that wasn't really thinking about keeping their property, uh, maybe wasn't really thinking about using it as a rental property, but now they, they have no choice. Um, we also have uh, investors with uh, a few uh, larger portfolios with a few properties. So we do have uh, a little bit of everything. Okay. Okay. So a pretty big mix. I, I don't know how many of our listeners have heard the term accidental landlords, uh, but you also said first-time investors. So what would a, the definition of a first-time investor be? So a first-time investor is someone that is looking to get into the industry. Uh, someone that uh, is interested in purchasing a property to have it as a as a rental, as a rental property, but it's the, it's their first time, right? They're just uh, they're they're just trying out the market. They're just uh, looking into uh, what it means to have a rental property, and maybe they're just starting off with their with their first property. Okay, so the difference between a first time investor and an accidental landlord, what is the knowledge? gap there? Is it about the same or is it there differences? There usually is a little bit of a difference. An, an accidental landlord is because they're not thinking about keeping their property as a rental property. They really have no knowledge about what that, what that means or what that's like. Uh, they, they have no idea how that works, what the process is like, uh, what their responsibilities are as landlords. And a first-time investor is someone that is that has already looked into the industry and tried to learn a little bit more about what that means. Okay, so a first-time investor would at least, but know how to calculate net income and things like that. That is correct. The first-time investor will by by this time they normally normally by the time they they reach out to us. They've already looked at a few properties. They've already looked at their uh, um, what their mortgage, what the rates are going to be like. Um, so they, they're already uh, getting familiar with the with the industry. When an accidental landlord uh, just really has no idea where to start. Okay, so that's somebody who's had their property on the market for a bit, and the realtor says, "Hey, you know what? So rather than keeping it empty, why don't you put it on on rent for a couple of years?" call upper edge is that kind of how it goes almost 100% of the times correct it's uh someone that they've been trying to sell they keep lowering the the listing price and they just have no interest for the past few months and yeah they're uh, uh ultimately their only choice is to try to try to rent the property uh, keep it for the next year or so maybe a couple of years and and give it a shot uh, later down the road and see if they can sell it then Okay. Um, so with both types of investors, um, and actually let's, let's group in the third, you said seasoned investors. So those would be people who have properties, maybe they're managing on their own or with their, they're with another management company. Is that uh, sum it up? Correct. Uh, seasoned investors, experienced investors, uh, they've already had uh, a few properties. Maybe they started with a couple, but they've grown their portfolio. They already, knows what it, they already know what it's like uh, to have tenants, to keep up with the, with repairs, that kind of thing. 
Okay. So with all three groups, um, as I, I kind of spoiled it at the beginning, I want to talk about cash flow. And cash flow uh, for the audience is kind of defined by whatever you can get for rent minus all your expenses. But expenses, like you mentioned, do include mortgage payments, uh, insurance, property tax, obviously property management fees if, uh, if you're choosing to have it professionally managed. How many people out of those three groups or all of them always are kind of asking about cash flow and, and concerned about it in, in your professional experience? Very close to 100% as well. Cash flow is usually the main topic. It's usually what they're very, very focused on. Uh, I'm going to say out of uh, 10 investors that uh, reach out ab about property management services, nine are concerned with cash flow. Okay. And what type of cash flow? Like we, like I said, we, I would say, I mean, we do three-story walk-ups and apartment blocks, but probably 60, 70% of our portfolio of, uh, you know, five, six, 700 units is single families. Out of the single family, pick on them, uh, out of the single family asset class, how many, like, what are we talking about for cash flow here on an average that people are hoping to, to get out of a property per month? Uh, it does vary. Uh, it varies quite a bit. Um, you do have investors that are just uh, looking to make maybe a hundred to two hundred dollars in cash flow. I have come across other investors who are maybe looking to have a, a larger profit profit margin, uh, maybe three to four hundred dollars in in cash flow. Okay, off of a single family home. Off of one single family home, correct. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, even my own personal portfolio, that's quite rare unless you're getting into like duplexes and triplexes. So now that we've established that almost 100% are, are focused on cash flow, I mean, what are some of the other critical factors that investors should consider, you know, when, when assessing potential real estate investments? Uh, there's definitely a, a, a few things that you, that you may want to consider. One of them being, for example, if uh, if an investor buys a, a C-class property in a C-class neighborhood, you know the cash flow might look good on paper, but they often ignore other factors such as uh, vacancy laws, break uh, break-ins, squatters, and you know the the danger the dangerous neighborhoods where where tenants rarely renew their lease, and Ultimately, the investor needs to pay for leasing and advertising on a yearly basis, which uh, later on affects the bottom line. Okay. So just so we're talking, um, defining this for the audience, like what I would consider C-class neighborhoods. I think that's a well-known term in the industry, but um, for those of out there trying to learn, a C-class neighborhood would be something, you know, the property values are a little depressed. There might be lower income residents living in there, a lot more maybe crime. Uh, that, like you mentioned, vandalism. I, I mean, squatting, um, is, that, is that a prevalent thing, um, at least here in Winnipeg, in your experience? In my experience, yes, uh, especially in those uh, C-class neighborhoods. Uh, you often have to take other measures to keep the property safe because that is uh, something that happens often. Okay. So we're talking vacancy, then somebody breaks in. And then, you know, the investor and or the management company comes there and finds there's just people living there and they've broken in. How do you protect against that? 
uh, I mean, in, in terms of uh, the services that that we offer, um, in general, uh, it may be even advice for an investor. You know, uh, I mean the the best way to protect against squatters is is obviously to not have the property vacant, right? So you want to have someone living in the property, and that's the thing about C class neighborhood properties. It's usually a little bit harder to move someone into a property like that. Uh, you can take safe, safety measures, as I mentioned. For example, our company offers home watch services, which means we can go out there and visit the property and make sure that everything is okay two to three times per week or as often as needed. But uh, again, I, I go back to having tenants in the property, living in the property, which again, if it's a C-class property in a, in a C-class neighborhood, it's usually a little bit harder. Okay. So when you say more difficult to place somebody, I, I mean... Are we talking good tenants or is that what you mean? Like, I don't want to spoil it again, but I I mean, in my experience, it's pretty easy to fill a C-class property because there's just tons of showing requests and things like that. But you just said it's it's a little bit difficult and sometimes to uh, fill it. It's easy to, to find tenants, but then you might come across lower quality tenants, right? What I mean by difficult is you want to make sure that you're doing your due diligence with finding the right tenants, with placing the right tenants in the property. You want to make sure that they're paying rent every month, that once they move out of the property, the it's in, it's in good shape. It's ready to go for whatever you want to do with the property, whether it's sell it or find new tenants. Um, when you find when you find a, a lower quality tenant, you're putting all, all those things at risk. Um, like I said, there's a lot of people looking for for properties, but you want to make sure you know who it is that you're placing into the into the property. Okay. So let, let's back up a little bit because um, I, I don't want to pick on C-class neighborhoods or investors who choose, but this is an educational podcast. A C-class neighborhood property obviously is going to be less expensive than a B or an A-class property, right? I think we can all agree on that. And therefore, if the property value is lower, then the mortgage payment would be lower. And if the mortgage payment is what the main thing that we consider into expenses and net income, then obviously it makes sense that an, a C-class property would cash flow better, right? But cash flow, like you said, um, if you're constantly evicting, filling it each each year because people don't want to renew their leases because they've had a home invasion or something happened in the neighborhood that they're not comfortable now that investor has those other soft hidden costs that they're not necessarily taking into consideration when they're evaluating pre-purchase, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah, there's there's other things that you might miss uh, when choosing to go with a property like this. For example, you, you know, you also want to focus on equity and appreciation of the property, right? Which um you know, within a, with a C-class property, that is going to be a little bit more difficult. As you mentioned, there's the A and the B-class properties, safer neighborhoods. The appreciation there might be different. That's interesting. Um, let's dive deeper into that a little bit. Like, can you talk to us about the importance of appreciation in the long-term wealth generation compared to just focusing on cash flow? Sure. So, um, I think long term, that's the the one thing or the main thing that you uh, may want to focus on. Uh, what that basically refers to is the the increase in in market value, uh, so the the value of the property. 
not so much um, how much the what the rental amount is, but the actual value of the property. If the investor were to sell the property two or three years down the road, how much could they sell the property for? Um, or if they just simply want to refinance the property and, and, and an appraisal is done, then that's when that's where capital appreciation comes in. Okay. So you're talking about year after year, just the property value going up. Correct. Correct. Year, year after year, the property, property value is going to go, it's going to go up. The, the Canadian average is, is 5% appreciation per year. Uh, so what that means is the property is, is going up in value every year, right? Okay. I mean, I guess that's a general statement because 5%, I mean, we do know there are other markets, not only here in, in Canada, but obviously anywhere else in the world that are going to go up and down a little bit. I think um, we've had a few guests on in the last couple of months that uh, are from out of province that have chosen to invest in Winnipeg. And I think Winnipeg is attractive for a lot of out-of-town investors because that capital appreciation, it, it's not going up uh, like a side of a mountain, like a, a huge graph, but it's it's always steady. It's always going up, which is why I think you like to quote that 5%. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about cash flow versus capital appreciation. Can you speak to us about the differences in numbers? Sure. So cash flow, we mentioned earlier, there's investors looking for. Normally, what they're looking for is 100 to $200 worth of cash flow per month. If you do the numbers, that amount at the end of the year is about $1,200 in cash flow, right? But if you focus, uh, if you Stop focusing on cash flow and just focus on on the appreciation of the property. And let's say that it's five percent, right? At the end of the year, a three hundred three hundred thousand dollar property, if it increases in in appreciation at five percent over that year, it's going to be fifteen thousand dollars. So if you do the math, fifteen thousand dollars is a better profit than the twelve hundred dollars cash flow. Okay, so in in this day and age though, like I had mentioned um, at the very beginning, uh, at least at the time of this recording, I think yesterday they had just announced another quarter point by the Bank of Canada. So mortgage interest rates have gone up yet again. A lot of investors are not being able to cash flow right now. So they're not even getting their $1,200. I think that's the lesson that we both want to to share here, right? $1,200 versus $15,000. What would you choose? Right. Obviously, nobody wants to be negative out of their pocket, I guess. Right. So uh, at the end of the day, you want to at least break even. Right. So I think that also depends on the type of market, the climate that we're in, whether it's a, a buyer's market or a seller's market. I think the investors are still better off in investing in a property not focusing on cash flow, but rather what the property appreciation is going to be. And I mean, if you just look at one year, it's not a very long time, right? If you have good tenants living in the property that are paying rent on time, you're taking care of those tenants, they renew their lease. Now you're going to have them there for another two years. That's another, that's, I'm sorry, for another year. So that's two years. So that's another year of steady rental income. And that's another year worth of property appreciation. Um, so I think you're still better off with even even with the with the higher rates. I think you're still better off uh, investing in the property and 
kind of just riding the storm out. Oh, of the higher interest rates, right? Yeah, no, that that's great advice. One thing I, I don't think we've touched on yet, uh, we've talked about capital appreciation, but the other part of profit of long-term, I guess, buy and hold real estate is the tenants paying down that mortgage for that investor. So I think on top of that 15000 that you mentioned, I mean, depending on the size of your mortgage, I've seen people gaining another eight, ten, fifteen thousand 15000 in mortgage pay down by that tenant. So I, I think now we're talking what... what How's my math? 25,000 now, maybe potentially versus 1,200. Did you know that there is a big difference between investing in real estate and becoming a real estate investor? People become real estate investors all the time. They get into a flip or conversion project or even dealing with long-term tenants. And they come back to us to tell us the same thing. It's like having another full-time job. I don't know about you, but that's not what we call investing. Investing in real estate is about having your money work for you in a way that is passive, consistent, most importantly, hands-off. So which one are you? Do you want to be a real estate investor or do you want to invest in real estate? For those that are open to investing in real estate and having your money work for you, listen up. Garrett Wong has spent decades helping thousands of property owners navigate the ins and outs of property investing and management through his award-winning company, Upper Edge Property Management. Their new division, Upper Edge Capital, is currently involved in multiple projects, from single-family flips to multifamily development. Are you looking for a healthy return on your invested capital, or perhaps becoming a joint venture partner? If so, go to www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest to book a time to speak with Garrett and his team to see if there is a fit. Once again, the link is www upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest. Now, back to the show. Okay, so let's uh, let's move on. Um, you mentioned tenant quality. I, I think that can't be overlooked. Can you discuss the balance between securing, you know, high cash flowing properties, but also attracting quality long-term tenants? Yeah, so we we talked about the, uh, the 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 quality of the tenants, right? Um, if you have an investor who is really really focused on cash flow, that means that they're trying to get a higher rental amount for their properties, right? So a higher rental amount for the properties, uh, what that means is normally that means lesser people interested, which means less viewings and less applications. Now. We have had investors who think or believe that it's better to have it that way because you're weeding out the the lower quality tenants. Uh, but I would say otherwise. If you have a more competitive rental amount, uh, maybe you have less cash flow, but you have a more competitive rental amount, you have more people that are interested in the property. So you have more showings, more applications coming in, and you have a larger pool of tenants to choose from. Um, when you have a larger pool, uh, uh, more tenants, more people to choose from, you can find a, a good quality tenant. And if you find a good quality tenant, now you have stability. Now you have that rental income coming in every month. If you're taking care of the property, uh, taking care of repairs on time, they're happy, they're comfortable, and they're likely to renew their lease. I think I've checked in our system and we have uh, properties where the tenants have lived there for the past 
seven, eight years. So just think about what the capital appreciation might be over the, the last seven, eight years with good quality, very steady uh, rental income. Okay. Yeah, that that's really interesting because um, what we haven't talked about is those other costs, right? Because I know that if, I mean, eight years, I, I think uh, an average rental property needs to be painted every three or four or five years. So if you have a, a tenant in there for eight to 10 years, that's another three to $5,000 paint job that you can add back into the income column, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm, and I, and I mean, I mean, this, this is uh, money that you're putting into the property, right? It's money that you're putting into the property. At the end of the day, it's uh, once you have that property appraised again, um, you're, you're going to be able to add, add that on to the, uh, to the value of the property. I think what uh, a lot of investors don't think about when they're trying to get the very, very highest rent possible, and, and I mean, all respect to them and, and you try to do that, but I mean, this is educational, right? I, I think the, like you mentioned, the property might be vacant a little bit longer and that's simply as a fact of less people looking and you're trying to look for the very top of the market rather than maybe people who are trying to save for a home and things like that. But if some, if you're able to convince somebody to come in at a higher rent, great. Okay. So you got your cash flow for that year. But now that person's living in there and they're talking to neighbors. They had a chance now that they're settled to look around on the market a little bit. What are the odds that they are going to renew their lease after a year when they see that the entire neighborhood is $200 cheaper? I don't think too many people think about that when they're trying to get the maximum cash flow. Exactly. Exactly. That's the fact. I mean, investors, normally they forget to look at the other properties that they're competing against, right? So uh, you look at your property, you have a three-bedroom property, and you're advertising for a, a higher rental amount, but then there's other similar properties that are advertising at a lesser rental amount, right? So what other properties that you're competing against? What is your competition? And yeah, like, as, as you said, you move someone in, uh, maybe they agreed to pay that much, but exactly. What are the chances of them staying another year? Maybe they will not renew their lease. And if they don't renew their lease, now you're having to uh, move them out. You might have a vacancy period. Uh, you don't know how long it's going to take you the next time around to find tenants, right? So if you if you have the, the, the right rental amount, maybe you're not having that much of a cash flow. But if you have that in place and, and you attracted good tenants into your property, um, I think it's just long-term stability. Okay. So if we could sum it up for the investors out there, what are some of the common mistakes that you've seen from investors who are too cash flow oriented and how could these be avoided? So some of the common mistakes uh, that we see is uh, investors not wanting to fix something because that affects cash flow. Right, so if you if you have a uh, hundred dollars in cash flow every month, um, and it, tenants are reaching out to have something fixed in the property, and it's maybe fifty, seventy five, one hundred and fifty dollars to get that fixed. If you're if they're just focused on cash flow, they'll usually deny those repairs, right? But what are the consequences? Uh, uh, the the tenants, the residents might get angry. Uh, again, are they going to renew their lease at the end of the year if they're not happy? Um, if they're not comfortable living in the property, if things are, aren't getting fixed, they're likely not going to renew their lease. So what does that mean for the investor? They're losing a good tenant. 
they're going to have to fix the issue anyways. Um, if they want to move new tenants back into the property, they might come across that thing that is broken and not want to live in the property, right? So you're going to end up having to fix that that issue anyways. But now you're having a vacant property. You're having to pay for leasing leasing services, advertising costs. Um, and if you have that property sitting vacant for a month or two, again, that's that's more loss. Yeah. So fix it now since it has to be fixed anyways. Like why, why not? Right. You know, a month or two of, of rental loss. Uh, we see this all the time in our company, uh, even at a $1,500 rent, two months of rental loss, it's $3,000 over, like you, you mentioned a $150, $200 repair. Maybe the sink finally broke or the tap snapped off, uh, whatever it is. Right. Uh, how can you even compare 3000 versus 200? So yeah, I think that's great advice. Um, any, anything else that you would say that some common mistakes that you've seen? I, I think that's that's some of the main ones. Uh, that's one of the main mistakes is, is that not keeping the tenants happy enough to make sure that they're renewing their lease every year. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I know we push that here at Upper Edge, just try to take care of the residents so that uh, we're able to actually get that lease renewal. Uh, I think it's just stability all over for for us and for the investors. So to finish this section off, what advice would you give to real estate investors about maintaining, because it's all about balance. So maintaining a balanced perspective on cash flow and other important investment considerations. Yeah, I, I think investors need to have a, a, a balance between the two, right? In an ideal world, nobody should want to pay out of their pocket um, for their rental properties. So there isn't, uh, uh, you're at least breaking even. But every climate is different. For example, the, the current mortgage rates, uh, if, some, if someone wants to get into real, rental property, into this industry, what do they do, right, with these, uh, with these current rates? Okay. All right. Um, let's transition a little bit. Because you've been with our company for four plus years, so you've seen a lot. Um, how have you seen this industry change since the time you've been here? Wow, it's uh, it's changed quite a bit, actually. Uh, I'm going to say one of the, the main things that I think ha- has changed is uh, it's more technology-driven. Um, and that's for the companies that are innovative, right? So it's, uh, you know, you obviously you still have uh, property managers uh, that uh, themselves take care of everything. They have keys for your property. They go out to your property and check on check on things for you. But I think if I if I were to talk about one thing, one of the main things that have changed is uh, the fact that it's it, there's more tech, there's more available even apps applications out there for property management services. And how does that uh, affect the end user? I mean, this is really about the client. So what, what are we talking about here? Like portals or what kind of tech it would an investor want from their property manager? So w- one of the things that an investor wants is to always stay updated or informed about their properties. They always want to find out exactly what is happening with their properties, right? And that's where tech comes in. If you have a good technology-driven property management company, you can keep 
investors updated, well informed of uh, of their their properties and anything or uh, everything that is going on there. So four or five years ago, when you started with us and you were you were doing business development calls, do you find that investors are changing as well, and they? I don't want to say demanding this, but almost expecting it, just because every you know tech is so prevalent in our lives. I, I, I believe so, and especially after COVID, I think after I think COVID changed the industry quite a bit as well. And because of COVID, everybody just has a different mentality. Everybody expects, you know, your real processes, everything that you do to be more technology based. What about on the tenant side? Are there different expectations in the last four or five years that you've seen from tenants and technology? I think they were also influenced by COVID. I think it's exactly the same as with our investors. They expect to be always well-informed. They expect to have everything at their fingertips. And that's, again, that's where technology is very, very important. Yeah, communications, tickets. Um, I, I think people... They kind of have an aversion of picking up the phone these days. They want to be able to reach out, and it's that instant gratification uh, when you're texting with your your management team, right? Exactly. Okay. So you mentioned you had a, a really strong customer service background before you joined us. Uh, let me ask you what what do you wish you would have known before you started doing real estate? Oh wow, there are so many moving parts in in real estate. So many moving parts in, in property management services. I, I think. Um, um, yeah, my, my, my background is, is totally different. So if uh, just to be able to know a little bit more about mortgage rates, uh, vacancy rates, property management, just to have a little bit more information about that, because uh, uh, gaining the, the knowledge and the experience that, that I have right now, it's, uh, it's taken quite a bit, quite, quite a while. Well, it's a challenging industry, and we always uh, joke about property management that uh, it's tough. It's tough because uh, nobody, nobody really calls a property manager to say with positive things, right? It's always we, we're problem solvers, so therefore we're dealing with problems whenever we pick up the phone. <laughs> so, okay, well, um, I think we're out of time now, but uh, I ask every guest this question, and I'd like to hear what you have to say. So, this is the investing to win podcast. How do you define success? And what does winning look like for you? Success for me is to accomplish the goals that you set out for yourself. I think that's success. Winning, especially the area that I work in, my position, business development. Winning for me is, uh, and we talked about uh, this podcast has been about educating our investors. Winning for me is is Assigning a, a new client who maybe had no idea uh, about this industry at all, but we've made them confident enough that they can keep their properties, that we're going to take care of it, that they made the, the right choice, the right decision. To me, that's, that's, a, that's a huge win. Yeah. And I mean, how, how good does it feel that you're helping them build wealth, right? I mean, that's, that's the best feeling in the world. Okay. Well, thank you, Fursi. I have really enjoyed this time with you and I appreciate you uh, being willing to come on the podcast. I know when I asked you, it was a little bit of a surprise, but uh, I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of this episode. So thank you again. I hope so. Thank you, Garrett. Appreciate it. 
I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Investing to Win podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If this episode made you think of another investor, take a screenshot and share this podcast episode with them. Investing to Win is not only about helping you to win more, but WIN actually stands for Wise Investors Network. It's where we help our investors build a hands-off portfolio and have passive investments work for them. To see how you can potentially partner with us, go to www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest to learn more. Once again, the link is www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest. All links can be found in the description below. Until next time. Music